And the one tax benefit or another tax benefit that I failed to mention is, you know, if you have a $10,000 mortgage payment on the building in the LLC, some of that's interest, some of that's principal, you get to write off the interest in some way, shape or form. So <clears throat> there's, there's that benefit, but there's also, you know, we're stacking these things on top of each other. You have tax benefits, you have signage, you have being your own landlord, um, not having to deal with that kind of negotiation. But then the financing for this kind of stuff is really beneficial in an owner-occupied purchase. If, if you're going to cobble together some cash and go invest in a commercial building, you can, get a, you can get a mortgage for that. But if you go through a private lender, these days you're probably putting 25% down-ish, as I understand it. You know this better than, than me, Tricia. Uh, but with the SBA-backed financing opportunities, if your business occupies at least 51% of the, the building that you're purchasing, you can put down as little as 10%. Since it's backed by the government, the terms are a little bit better. And if you think of uh, you know, the trajectory of if you're someone who's trying to grow your practice, it's pretty convenient to only occupy 51% uh, of the building, lease out the other 49%, and then potentially move into the rest of the space over time as leases expire and you want a little bit more square footage, right? This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Welcome to today's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast for an interview with Grant Bledsoe, a certified financial planner with Three Oaks Wealth. Grant works with a lot of physicians and business owners. He advocates for physician ownership in the properties where they practice for long-term financial benefits, increased equity, and tax advantages. Please enjoy my interview with Grant on today's episode. Hey, Grant, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So in my uh, interview on your show, Grow Money Podcast, you picked my brain about physician owners investing in real estate where they practice. Since you are a financial planner, I'm going to pick your brain on the long-term economic benefits and some financial strategies of physicians owning the real estate where they operate their practice in. That works for me. Yeah. We had a good discussion a few weeks ago, months ago, however long it's been. So yeah, exactly. Uh, happy to, to help out. Well, first, why don't you share your background and a little bit about your company, Three Oaks Wealth? Sure. So I am a financial planner. Uh, I've been in the industry for 15 years or so. I uh, went to business school. I worked in institutional trading and portfolio management for Charles Schwab for a number of years. And then I uh, was kind of working myself up the corporate ladder. But realized that there are so many people out there across the country who are just looking for help and objective, sound financial advice from somebody that they can trust who has a fiduciary uh, responsibility to act in their best interest and operates in a way that minimizes conflicts of interest. And the vast majority of the financial industry is uh, coincidentally not set up in, in that manner. So I, I resigned uh, in 2014 to start this firm, Three Oaks Wealth, 
And basically, we're a financial planning firm. We help people get to the best place financially for them based on their lives, their career, their families, their values, whatever it is that makes them tick, whatever they're trying to do in their lives, we're trying to help them arrange their resources in a way that aligns with those intentions. And so if you if you think of uh, the spectrum of everything that touches your finances, you've got income from work, maybe you're uh, a business owner, we work predominantly with business owners, uh, you've got your investments, your tax, your estate planning, your risk management and insurance. There are so many decisions that need to be made across that spectrum, and they're all connected in some way, shape, or form. What we do is help people make thoughtful decisions across that spectrum where everything's aligned and kind of propelling you closer to whatever it is you're trying to do long-term and really whatever you need from your resources to be happy and content. So we work predominantly with business owners on helping them uh, do that and align what's going on uh, inside their business with their personal financials. A lot of our clients are in the medical community, as we talked about here a few weeks ago. Um, physicians, yes, but also veterinarians, orthodontists, dentists, um, across uh, a, a few disciplines. So that's, um, that's a little bit about the background. A lot of our business owner clients are interested in purchasing and owning the building that their business operates in, which is why I was so happy to have you on my show to talk about the details of how that, that looks, uh, because it's just a, it's a really convenient and tremendous wealth building tool for, for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm happy to take it in whatever direction you like, but that's, uh, that's the crux of what we do. Great. Well, you, you uh, answered about three of my questions, so I'm just going to keep going. So, you know, when you're working with a physician, when do you start asking them, you know, where do they practice if they're obviously if they're an independent physician, not employed, but when do you start asking, do they come to you and say, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of uh, purchasing a piece of real estate and, and opening up my practice in it. Or do you sort of look at while you're reviewing their business operations, say, Hey, you might want to think about doing this. Yeah, we, we've got, you know, after having gone through this exercise um, multiple hundreds of times over the last few years, uh, so, so we have a, a process that governs how we deliver that, that service I just described. And basically, we, we bring people in, we begin the financial planning engagement, we have them gather all their uh, data. And so that's account statements and tax returns and, and uh, business documents and, you know, your risk tolerance questionnaires and all that stuff. And then, and then in a series of interviews, what we're trying to do at the very beginning of an engagement is just get to know uh, the new clients, understand their values and really what they're, they're intending to do long-term. I don't think anybody, anybody that I've ever met at least wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and says, oh, I need a comprehensive financial plan. I better call, <laughs> call. It, it, it's, that's not the reason people reach out. They, they reach out because... They, they have something specific going on in their lives that has uh, some urgency. Uh, maybe they just received an inheritance or they have a big business decision to make or, hey, we've been doing stuff uh, on our own for a while, but we really need a little bit more oversight from someone with experience. And, and along that same vein, sometimes people will reach out say with, with questions about all their stuff. And one of the considerations is, well, I have this practice I've been operating. I'm, I'm interested in buying a business and I want to know how that impacts the rest of the financial landscape for us. Typically, that stuff, to answer your question directly, is uncovered a little later in the process. So we're getting to know people, you know, where are you at in your career? What do you really want to do long-term? Are you um, in practice by yourself, in a group? What does that look like? Uh, and 
if it's a good fit, which it is for, for many people who have an ownership stake in the practice, primarily a majority stake, uh, then we'll uh, bring that up as, as a possibility. Hey, have you, you know, we're, we're maxing out our 401k. We're doing all the other typical wealth accumulation, tax saving kind of things that we might consider. Have you thought about uh, maybe buying a building that your business occupies? Because at the end of the day, if you have a physical location in any business, absolutely in, in medicine, it ha- you have to rent space somewhere. You know, and it's the same, it's the same exercise as do I want to continue renting a house or an apartment or do I want to buy that and deal with fixing the water heater when it breaks, but instead of making a rental payment that goes 100% to the landlord, have a payment that builds equity uh, over time and potentially uh, the property appreciates uh, to add on to that equity. It's the exact same thing. So you're, you, you have to pay rent somewhere. The business does. It might as well be to yourself and build some equity. And there are other benefits beyond that that I'm happy to get into. Yeah. Well, why don't you start with some of the tax? So you, you talk about that they max, you know, they're, they're doing all their other tax savings strategies, you know, maxing out a 401k, but what does owning a building and, you know, leasing from yourself, how does that work for, to benefit them from a tax perspective? Sure. So, so simple example. Let's say that you are occupy your business occupies a space, and you're paying ten thousand dollars a month in rent. And let's set aside the um, maybe it's a triple net lease where you're responsible for the maintenance and the tax and and the, the other stuff that comes up. Let's just set that aside for the time being. Well, if you have the opportunity to put some cash toward a purchase and finance a commercial building where your payment is $10,000 a month, the net cash flow to the business is exactly the same. But on top of that, typically the way this is structured is uh, you would put the building in an LLC that you create for some asset protection benefits there. But that LLC is going to have revenues and expenses just like your business does. So that $10,000 of monthly rental expenses would be the exact same on the business's PL. The $10,000 would just go toward this LLC that you own. So now you have this new LLC. You have revenue, $10,000 a month coming in at the top of your profit and loss statement that your business is supplying. And you have all these expenses for maintenance and insurance and other stuff. Well, one of the expenses that you get to claim when you own a building like this is depreciation expense. And off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly what the schedule is for depreciating a commercial property. If you own uh, like a single family home that you rent out, you get to take the value of the house when you buy it and divide it by 27 and a half. And that's the amount of depreciation that you get to claim as a deduction every single year. So if you buy the building, you get all the ordinary uh, uh, tax deductions on top of depreciation which means that if you have $10,000 coming in or $10,000 going out of the business, you have the same $10,000 going into the new LLC, your net profit from the LLC is less than 10,000, which is an immediate tax savings. So that's the building. Now as the business operation, how does it benefit them? There are a lot of qualitative reasons that I think it it benefits you. Um, There's uh, every time you negotiate a new lease or a space you're trying to occupy, you have to go through negotiations with the landlord. It may or may, may not be the right space. 
you have neighbors uh, oftentimes that you share the building with that can be positive or negative for the business. You're, you, you don't have as much control. When you own the building, you have a lot of control. And so from the business's perspective, uh, it's just nice to be able to call the shots on all the terms of the lease and not have to go through that process of dealing with the landlord. There's also some other signage sometimes with, with uh, different landlords. Some buildings allow for signage and some don't, but I heard a lot of uh, medical practices really enjoy being able to put a big sign up, um, how, however big they want. Or uh, if they do sell the building, they write signage rights into their lease that you know they get to keep their sign up there. So visibility seems to be something that is very important to a lot of practices these days. And if they can find a building with some good visibility and using that to their advantage, uh, they seem to enjoy that. Absolutely. And, and the one tax benefit or another tax benefit that I failed to mention is, you know, if you have a $10,000 mortgage payment on the building in the LLC, some of that's interest, some of that's principal, you get to write off the interest in some way, shape or form. So <clears throat> there's, there's that benefit, but there's also, you know, we're stacking these things on top of each other. You have tax benefits, you have signage, you have being your own landlord, um, not having to deal with that kind of negotiation. But then the financing for this kind of stuff is really beneficial in an owner occupied purchase. If, if you're gonna cobble together some cash and go invest in a commercial building, you can get a, you can get a mortgage for that, but if you go through a private lender, these days you're probably putting 25% down-ish, as I understand it. You know this better than, than me, Tricia. Uh, but with the SBA-backed financing opportunities, if your business occupies at least 51% of the, the building that you're purchasing, you can put down as little as 10%. Since it's backed by the government, the terms are a little bit better. And if you think of uh, you know the trajectory of if you're someone who's trying to grow your practice, it's pretty convenient to only occupy uh, 51% of the building, lease out the other 49%, and then potentially move into the rest of the space over time as leases expire and you want a little bit more square footage, right? And we haven't even gotten into the long-term wealth benefits, but uh, in, in terms of just business operations, it's nice to be able to control all that stuff. It's nice to have a little bit of room to move into uh, down the road. You get some tax benefits um, and the financing is is beneficial. So talk to me about how ordinary income gets reduced. Um, I know that money comes in, it goes to the lease and then your salary and being able to apply it to the lease reduces the ordinary income. Uh, sure. So let, let's say that... Um, let's say that the business revenue for the year is a million dollars. And let's say that your total rental expense as a tenant in the building the business occupies is $100,000. You have no other expenses. You have $900,000 left over at the end of the year that you have to pay tax on, right? And this is a really simplistic example, but I I think the analogy will be uh, sufficient. Well, if you save up some cash, buy the commercial building inside another LLC. Your million dollars of revenue coming in is going to be reduced by, let's call it the same amount of rental expense. Okay. So you have $100,000 of rental expense, $900,000 of business revenue uh, left over that you're still going to pay tax on. But in the LLC, you have that $100,000 of revenue coming in. 
you don't pay tax on all of that. You get to reduce it by depreciation, interest, and other operating expenses. So it's, it's not the case that you're going to necessarily reduce your aggregate ordinary income by purchasing the property. It's more the case that you're going to create another asset base with its own income stream that has its own tax benefits. And so if you take uh, like the, the marginal rate of tax that you as an in, your, your net marginal uh, tax rate or effective tax rate is a better way to put it. If you are leasing the space, if your business is leasing the space and then compare it to what your effective tax rate would be if you own the space and lease it to yourself, the effective tax rate is probably going to go down by a little bit because of those tax benefits in the LLC. And that's a couple orders like downstream. Right. Everybody's situation yeah. is different, of course, but um, generally that's, that's probably a reasonable representation. And do you work with um, healthcare practices that have multiple physicians or do you advise a group of physicians or do you just do individual? We've done individual to date groups. Uh, we could probably handle, but you know, when you do groups, this decisions are not made uh, as quickly you know, we might have to present the same idea to um, a board or something like that. And the way we're set up is more family business oriented. You could probably handle it, but it's a little bit outside of the, the scope right now. We'll talk about um, the long-term wealth benefits. I mean, I, long-term real estate historically has beneficial asset to invest in. So, you know, talk about the, obviously the, the current benefit that they have, you know, for their business operation, but then long-term down the road as they go through different ages and stages of life, how this benefits them. Yeah. You know, your, your traditional path toward retirement for a W-2 employee is you make money every paycheck, you pay taxes on it, you spend a little bit less than your net paycheck, and then you put the rest of it away somehow. And if we're trying to uh, put ourselves on a trajectory toward retirement, you probably want to utilize some kind of tax advantage retirement plan like a 401k. And so you keep doing that over and over and over each payroll cycle. And the amount of money that you put inside the 401k grows and it grows and it grows. And then at some point down the road, you reach the point where, hey, my nest egg is big enough. I have enough saved up to live off of for the rest of my life. So you stop working. And there are a number of ways to do this, but somehow you have to convert that big pile of cash that you have into income to pay your living expenses from then on. Uh, is a pretty you know basic concept, right? And with business owners, it's it's a, a little bit different because you have maybe the equity and the practice that you could be selling. But one of the huge benefits here is if you own the practice and then you exit from the practice and you still own the building, well, you can you are now leasing the space that the business that you intimately know continues to operate in. And you're creating an income stream. And so typically the way that this, this uh, plays out is when you're ready to retire, you sell the practice, but you hang on to the building. And rather than having to pull, let's call it $10,000 a month from your, your savings to pay living expenses, that $10,000 might be offset by five or $8,000 a month of lease payments. Because oftentimes if you've been doing this for long enough, uh, maybe the mortgage is gone or almost gone. 
you can refinance it to reduce payments and have some net cash flow coming out of the property. And, and typically, you know, if, if you and I were to uh, put some money together and buy uh, a commercial real estate building as investors, there's a lot of risk in doing that. It's really helpful to know the buyer of your business. You know, you go through all this or this, you know, due diligence, and this is a, it's a long process and challenging process to sell a practice, and you have to be pretty comfortable with who the buyer is and comfortable with their ability to take care of your your patients and your clients, right? So if you're going to go through that process, you may as well, you know, if you're going to lease the building out to anybody, it may be the person and entity that you know most intimately. And and so it takes some of that uh, commercial real estate risk off the table, I think, and it creates an income stream. Now the other the other big tax tax benefit long term is that you know the cap rates are are one way to evaluate the return that you're getting long term on one of these properties and and you know this better than than me Trisha but uh, <clears throat> what happens over time is the other component of return is the return on the equity that you have in the property cap rates do not uh, include the equity and or or leverage or, or loan that you have against the property. And so over time, if you put 10% down, if you're going to buy a million dollar building, you put $100,000 down, uh, that means you have $100,000 in equity on day one. Over time, you pay off that mortgage, it amortizes, your equity in the property grows, maybe the value of the property itself appreciates, which, which, which also grows uh, the equity. But as the mortgage balance goes down, the return on the equity that you have goes down too. Because remember, return is income coming off the property plus appreciation divided by your equity. So if the denominator is going up, your return goes down. The other big tax benefit, and you know, there's been talk about this maybe going away at some point in tax um, legislation here in the future is the 1031 exchange. And, and so if, if, you're, if you're someone who has owned a property for a long time, you have a bunch of equity in it, well, your net return may not be that great. And that might be okay. That might be congruent with your objectives and your, your personal financial plan and all the above. But it's also really convenient to be able to sell that property, swap it into a new property this potentially bigger with more income that you can uh, lever again. And most people stepping into retirement don't want to add leverage and take more risk, but it's it's a convenient, uh, I don't want to call it a loophole, but, but tax opportunity to preserve um, stable ROE is not a, another way to put it. Exactly. I got off on a tangent a little bit no, there. Did that, that answer your question? Yeah, no, but I love it. It's great information. It's great information. Well, <clears throat> we're at the part of the interview where I ask you some Q&A questions to get to know you a little bit. So can you tell me what your first job was? My first job was probably mowing lawns around the neighborhood. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And so the period of time in the year where snow is not on the ground, uh, like fits nice and neatly into the time when you're off of school in the summertime. <laughs> so I go around the neighborhood, knock on doors and mow lawns for like 10 or 15 bucks each and made money doing that. What do you think you'd be doing for a living if you weren't uh, doing financial planning? Um, good question. I, I've always kind of been interested in 
um, the law. Uh, my dad was a lawyer. I could, I could, I, I think I maybe have uh, the ability to go to law school and not fail out and, and do that. It's, I don't know what, what kind, but it's, it's always been an interesting uh, field to me. Who, what or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? I'm someone, so we, we in, in my field, investing, financial planning, you, you have to synthesize a lot of new information and you have to be really careful of how that information is filtered and brought to you. And I'm someone who believes that if you're not paying for your news overtly, you are the product. So I, I don't really watch much local news. I don't really watch CNN or CNBC or Fox or any of that stuff. Um, I, I get news from Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and stuff that I, I pay for outright. Uh, stuff that I'm reading, I'm reading a really good book on the history of capitalism in America, which is a little bit dry, but I, I like economic history and kind of how we got to where we are today. It's by um, Boo Srinivasan. And um, another book that I read recently that I really liked was by Ray Dalio, who's been in the news a little bit uh, recently, but he, had, he did a study on how reserve currencies, currently the US dollar is the world's reserve currency, it hasn't always been that way, but how uh, countries and their economics and how their currencies kind of rise and fall over time. And right now we have this big debt load in America. Uh, we're being, um, you know, China really wants to become the world's reserve currency. They're, they're renminbi. They're very aggressive in what they're doing in geopolitics. It's a really interesting uh, thing to study. And he wrote a very good book. It's called The Changing World Order um, that I'd highly recommend. Yeah, I like I like I like putting those into my my reading. I finished a book called The History of, of Wall Street and it was it was a little dry, but very fascinating just how, you know, starting from the railroads to current times. And to be honest, it seems like history repeats itself in that regard. <laughs> it does. Who wrote that one? I'm not familiar with that book. Um, you know, I don't have it with me. I should I should have these at the top of my but I'll I'll give it to you. Um let me have you answer this next question. Uh, what is the one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? I've got three little kids at home and it's really, we have to be, my wife and I have to be really uh, thoughtful and we have to plan out how this works. And so I get up <laughs> at six and I exercise immediately and I, I try to bring my lunch to work every day and I I'm, uh, will make these vegetable-based smoothies that I'll consume kind of throughout the week. And so those, those are the two, I, I try to get enough sleep, I try to exercise vigorously five or six times a week and eat relatively clean. And that, that helps. It keeps your energy up. Yeah. For the most part. So the author of the book is Charles Geist, G-E-I-S-S-T. Uh, okay. Got it. I've heard of him. So do you uh, think leaders are born or trained? I don't think it's totally binary. I think it's, I think it's a blend. There are definitely some innate characteristics that probably uh, help people in leadership roles, but so much of sound leadership, I think is learned too. It's, it's, it's gotta be a blend. And I know that there are people that out there that have studied this stuff, but I don't know any of them off the top of my head. <laughs> 
No, I like that. So Grant, um, how do you want people to get a hold of you? I have your website address, but what, what, um, if they want to talk to you, how do they reach you? Uh, I would steer people toward if, you know, what I'm talking about is halfway interesting. I have a podcast, um, that you mentioned earlier, it's called grow money business, where we talk about the alignment of business and personal, uh, financial planning. We talk about a lot of the stuff, our financial planning firm is called Three Oaks Wealth. Uh, you mentioned the URL is threeoakswealth.com. So if you want to chat about any of this stuff, uh, pop over to the website, check it out, check out the podcast, and there's a, a link to, to schedule a time through um, our office manager. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Grant. Thank you for uh, this interview. Yeah, thanks for the time. It's great, great to be on. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.